So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark for movie night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. Today on the show, we're talking about what at the time was the most expensive European film production of all time. It's The Fifth Element, written and directed by French filmmaker Luc Besson and starring Bruce Willis, Mila Jovovich, and Gary Oldman. Hell yeah, dude. It, dude, I know how I feel about this movie. And I was so excited when you first put it on the board because I did not know you had not seen it. And I'm really looking forward to talking about it with you tonight, man. How you doing? How you feeling? I'm feeling all right. I, uh, I'm very excited to talk about this one, too, because I feel like it was a big blind spot for me that I'm happy yeah. to have cleared up. I was going to ask you this because I was thinking about it today. Is this a full-blown shamer? Is this, a, is this on the cusp of being a shamer? Where do you think this sits? Despite it being such a big production, I still feel like in some ways this movie is kind of a cult film. So I don't know if mm -hmm. I would call it a shamer necessarily, but definitely like when you and I were growing up, all the, you know, I, I just, I remember a lot of my classmates in like middle school being really into this movie. And I, for whatever mm -hmm. reason, never watched it. Um, I think mostly because when it came out, it was, a movie that I wasn't allowed to see. I mean, it came out when you and I were probably eight or nine mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was, it was a little bit before the time where I was starting to dive into R rated movies. So um, yeah, it just mm -hmm. missed me and uh, I'm glad to have caught up with it, but no, I don't, I don't know that I would call it a shamer. Yeah. I think, I think it's right on the border. It really, it's close because just like you said, for our generation, this movie had a really big impact. And it was one that me and my friends watched. We talked about a lot. But it also did develop that sort of cult vibe. I don't know for a fact if it was some sort of smash hit at the box office or whatever. Um, so I, I, I understand that you missed it. But it still is surprising to me. And uh, yeah, it should be a fun chat, man. Looks like it made two hundred and sixty-three million in the U.S. So that I mean that that's pretty successful. I mean it was mm -hmm. a ninety million dollar production at the time, mm -hmm. um, so it de it definitely made a return on it, its investment. Uh, I, I wonder what it did worldwide, but I I gotta believe that this movie had to have done really really well worldwide as well. Mm -hmm. Seems like one of those that. movies that that would play well in like. Japan and, and China and, you know. Yeah, um, just with the, kind of the absurdity components in it. Yeah, I mean, it feels adjacent to anime in a lot of ways to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll probably get into it too. But some of the sense of humor reminds me of Kung Fu Hustle a little bit. And, and not that Kung Fu Hustle is indicative of the comedy stylings of the entirety of China. But still, I could see what you're saying, that sort of kind of cranked up a little bit more absurd i could i could imagine that meaning it does even better internationally yeah yeah i mean movies like that tend to do very well there's you know they they did huge numbers for movies like avatar and you know pacific rim and stuff like that mm -hmm. so like you know i mean there are movies that do terribly in the u.s that that 
make their money back in in countries like that because you know they just for whatever reason don't play to our sensibilities yeah so it should be fun should be a fun chat looking at the old um looking towards an old board review i believe if i'm not mistaken the score is currently 20 to 15 and a half drew gained one with this being a drew clark pick i was starting to inch back into the fight but uh still keeping a nice little four and a half point buffer there drew you feeling good you feeling are you glowing uh sure yeah <laughs> it matters okay it matters <laughs> <laughs> oh man no yeah it, it's it look it feels good to be back in the winner's circle what can i say of course of course but no yeah i mean you had another two in a row there i mean within the last five weeks you've had or excuse me within the last six weeks you've had four of the selections so i mean you, mm -hmm. you're you're on a little tear there but it's nice to get back to one of mine nice to get back to one of yours and, and if you keep picking darts like this pun intended uh you can win all the ones you want man because this is these are just fun movies you know yeah and also was refreshing to hit a single digit because we had had that weird stretch for a while where we were getting a ton of upper teens and higher numbers. And it was like months and months that we didn't get a single digit, single digit. We hit the sixth sense and that kind of broke the spell, but it's good to see that, you know, it wasn't just a temporary breaking of the spell and maybe we'll be able to explore more of the bottom of the board over the next coming weeks. Yeah, the fifth element's been on the board for a little while now, but let's get to uh, reviewing what's on there currently. Yeah. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me, number two, Ex Machina, number three, The Right Stuff, number four, The Big Sleep, number five, Operation Condor, number six, Anomalisa, number seven, Amadeus, number eight, Tonight's Episode, The Fifth Element, number nine, Days of Heaven, number 10, The Limey, number 11, The Hateful Eight, number 12, The Straight Story, number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, number 14, Schindler's List, number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, number 16, Dirty Harry, number 17, The Blair Witch Project, number 18, Waking Life, number 19 face off number 20 the terminator hell yeah good board good board but let's get to the movie tonight but first i i related to the movie tonight i want to do a little myocopa here this mm -hmm. is a, a segment we've done a few times in the past uh it it comes from jared's mispronunciation or misspelling rather of uh the, <laughs> the mea culpa into yeah, myocopa <laughs> In the show notes, we spell it M-A-Y-A -A space C-O-P-A. Yes. Uh, but my Mayakopa for this week is that for the longest time in the show notes on episodes, I've had The Fifth Element listed as a movie from 1995, which is not true. It's a 1997 mm. movie. And it's one of those like uh, uh, Mandela effect kind of moments where like for some reason I had always attached the fifth element in the year 1995 and i have Just no idea five. why maybe the five it must be but yeah. but for whatever reason yeah i always had that in my head and i just blatantly never checked what year it actually Dude, was before writing it out it's so funny because i don't think there's a way to for me to view it cleanly now but i bet if i was on a game show a year ago and someone's like what year did the fifth element come out i probably would have guessed 95 97 feels late to me too and i don't think that's just because of how you how it was in our show notes for a while like i legitimately feel like it was earlier i don't know why i think that but i think it too it's weird 
Well, the interesting thing is also if it did come out in 1995, that would have been the the year to end all years for Bruce Willis because he also had 12 Monkeys and Die Hard with Vengeance in 1995. Funny side story, 12 Monkeys is something I'm considering putting on the board. I have never seen it. I saw it years and years ago on TV, but I would definitely be up for a rewatch on that. Cool. I mean, we've got, we've had so much Bruce recently that I'm going to let it cool for a little while, but it is on my radar for sure, and it's something I'm looking forward to getting to. How about you give us a streaming check there and let us know where you can watch this movie? Hell yeah, brother. So this one's a little surprising. I only found it available at time of recording with subscription on Showtime. A lot of other places where it's pay to rent, you know, a couple of bucks, you download it. Everyone knows how that works. But I was surprised. I would have thought, <laughs> I would have thought um, that it was available in more spots. I don't know why. I don't know why I feel that way. But as of now, just Showtime. Here's, here's one other thing I'll add. I, I would highly recommend if you're going to rent it, get it on iTunes where you'll get a 4K HDR copy because this is such a vibrant and rich looking movie. You Ooh. should be watching this in the highest resolution possible. Is that how you saw it then? You saw 4K? Yes. Okay. Then you will have had a different visual experience than me. You're, from what I understand, a pretty big fan of this movie. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Like, I have seen it, my, my gut says, maybe six times or so. You know, so it's a, definitely a movie I sort of grew up with, and it's one that I have gained more and more appreciation for since the first viewing, and it has gained in my estimation. But I've only ever seen it uh, at like DVD resolution level, and this past viewing, I watched it on Showtime because I am a subscriber to Showtime, and I, it looked the same to me. It looked the same as my memory. So I'm a little envious that you got the 4K because it is such a vivacious movie. It's so, it's so bright and colorful and cartoonish that I bet it was really well suited to 4K. Uh, I'm very curious to hear how that looked on your end, on your TV too. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, we can kind of talk about it now a little bit. I, I, I wanted to get into just the special effects in general, but I think up front, it, you know, the only thing that I found kind of didn't hold up were some of the effects work stuff like right. like some of the cgi is extremely dated it, it just mm -hmm. you know does not hold up uh when you when you make it as crisp and clear as as a 4k image like it's just it, it you know really so you think that almost hurt the sfx a little bit i think a little bit effects. like you can see like like edges on makeup jobs and stuff that are otherwise would be blurred in in lower resolution or on like a film projector um mm -hmm. So it, it, I think it does harm it slightly, but at the same time, like I said, like the colors and the, the costume design and the like, just all the visual elements of the film are so thought through and well done that watching them in that resolution is just like, it's, it's, it makes it that much more of a rich experience, I feel like. Cool. That's awesome. And to be curious, I just want to make sure I'm on the same page. You're are you talking about the... The practical effects or the computer generated? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Because, so, yeah, because you mentioned the the makeup lines. And that's interesting. And I could see them well, not predicting, say, 4K to be coming down the pipe. You know? Yeah, but, I mean, like like the other kind of effects that I feel like are, are harmed, 
the the big one is, is the giant you know fireball uh in space just mm-hmm. kind of looks like shit quite honestly really um and it's and it i mean it looks like a playstation one cutscene. like it's not good <laughs> and uh yeah i i like that makes it kind of I feel like it pulls you out of it a little bit, but I mean, the other th- part of it is that this movie, the the vibe of it, and just that like, it, it's such a charming movie in the way that it kind of approaches all of that stuff that you you give it a pass because it's just like okay, yeah, whatever. it's it's you know it's kind of quaint, but you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned that shout out with the 4K of of how it does kind of show the stitches a little bit to some degree. I am curious to hear more though about just your overall reaction you said it's a charming film i'm super curious to hear kind of like what you knew about it going in if there was anything that had kind of leaked through the culture and you knew before you started this movie and and yeah and just your sort of general reaction to how you felt about it first time yeah i mean i'll talk about how it got on the board it you know it was a movie that again i was aware of when i was a kid and uh, you know, I had a couple of friends that had seen it at, a, at an early age. Uh, one of my good buddies from from uh, middle and high school, Harwood, it was his name. Uh, mm-hmm. Awesome name. Uh, but he was really into like sci-fi and like Quentin Tarantino and stuff like that. That and he was he introduced me to a lot of that stuff uh, around those times. And The Fifth Element was a movie that he really dug, and I remember him bringing it up multiple times. And um, yeah, so it was a movie that's been on my radar for years, but just one that I do, I didn't really, you know, it's it's one of those movies where you're like, I don't have a reason for not having watched it. I just haven't, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And maybe on some level at, you know, at at younger, more snobby periods of my film fandom, I might have been kind of turned off by the cartoonishness a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I, you know, that I don't think that that would have been a deterrent. I really just think it's one that, for whatever reason, has missed me. So Dude, I think that's a, I think that's a really cool point of like, I think you need a, an excuse to check this movie out the first time. And if life doesn't provide you with it, like you might not choose to watch it. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I think I had kind of um, a similar thing where like the only reason I discovered this movie was I was babysitting for my cousins and my aunt and uncle owned that movie on DVD. So it was like one of the things that the kids would go to bed and I'd stay up and watch movies until, you know, the parents came home. You had this foreign DVD and VHS collection. It was not your own. And there were all these kind of new pops in it. And the fifth element was one that my aunt Shelley and uncle David had along with the abyss. They had kind of a sci-fi through line through their little collection. Nice. Iron Giant was another one for sure. And I just, I threw the fifth element on and I liked it, but I think I had sort of that similar thing of like being a little snobbish about it. Had that DVD not been there to check out on like a night when I was just bored. I don't, I don't think I would have picked to watch this, you know? All right. Well, you saw this at a young age. What did you think about it when you, Oh, you said what you thought about when you first saw it. You said you kind of were like, I, I, I'm not so sure about this. Right. Yeah, totally. Like I did have this sort of, I don't know. It's silly. I I, I like it. There was a part of it that I was really drawn to, 
But I think at the time, because I was probably 14, 13, something like that, I think I was more drawn to science fiction films that took themselves more seriously. And, you know, I still very vividly remember the first time I saw Alien. I remember the first time I saw Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. And those are sci-fi films that are a little less, or (laughs) a little less, significantly less rosy in their views of what the future will be. And they're kind of, I wouldn't quite say, yeah, there's a griminess to them and there is a lack of glamour. It is just dingy and they're, they're kind of dark, heavy stories. Wet. Yeah. They're (laughs) Blade Runner, especially both are quite wet. Actually, it's a good point, but Blade Runner is, is soaking, saturated, but you know, as Ben Hosley from blank check would call them. They're a slick flick. No, that is a, yeah. Slick flick for sure. But at that time, you know, and maybe this is common for for teens of that age or whatever, I was more drawn to cynicism in in science fiction and in films. And I kind of liked the idea of like the future's not gonna be great. It's probably gonna be the same day-to-day horseshit with some twists. And that's what films like Blade Runner and Alien kind of showed in terms of the universe they created. And I was into that. And when I saw The Fifth Element, I was like, ah, I don't know about these creatures. This villain is so goofy, is so over the top. I can see the cracks in the film, because at this time, this was probably 2003, 2005 that I was seeing it. So it was almost 10 years old at that point. And I think I sort of like was like, I like it, but I certainly don't love it. And there's parts I would change. And then over the years, it just started to morph, and I just grew to like it more and more. And I grew to be more charmed by the absurdity and the way the film does not take itself too seriously. And a lot of the comedic energy that's in the movie was really starting to work for me more. And it has kind of breached into now is probably one of my top five sci-fi films, top ten. Wow. I, I really love it. I really like... Um, how big a lot of the swings are in this movie and how silly it is. And I have grown a lot. Not everything works. It's not a, a, a flawless, flawless masterpiece, but it does have a, a soft spot in my heart. And there are a, a lot of elements of this film that I really love. I'm super curious though, to hear kind of a little bit more about what you thought of this being your first time. So yeah, I would say, I'm close to super fan, but maybe not quite super fan. Big fan, though, is fair to say. And what did you think of this on first viewing? I love this movie. It is Fuck so yeah. much fun. Yes! Okay. Um, I had a blast with this. I It immediately just was, like, tickling that, that you know, funny bone for me of, like, mm-hmm. I, I just I, I love it when a movie is unabashedly itself. It just mm-hmm. never never like is like, ah, oh, is this gonna is this gonna be weird? Is this gonna be, you know, off putting? Is this gonna be you know too strange? Is this gonna turn people off? Like I hate when you can see a movie questioning itself. And this yes. movie never questions itself. It's mm-hmm. just like balls to the wall, doing whatever the fuck it wants at all times. And you know, We've talked in the past about movies that kind of just do whatever the fuck they want. Like, you know, for you, I think Repo Man really worked that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that structurally this is is like that, because it's not. It's much more of like a hero's journey, like like tight, 
you know, much tighter structured yep. movie than that. But at the same time, when it comes to its ideas and what it wants to do and show you, it is so loose and fun. Um, and it, it reminds me of that conversation in that this is like the kind of loose and fun that I really appreciate. I fell head over heels for this movie out of the gates. I mean, I think like overall, I just had so much fun with it that like, mm. yeah, this is, this is awesome. I love this movie. Dude, I'm so, so glad to hear you say that. Was there anything that you had had spoiled for you? Did, did, were you were, did you go in relatively blind to this? This is kind of one of those movies where I had images, you know, like, like, like I, I, I had the opera singer in my head mm-hmm. as like something in the movie. I had right. Mila Jovovich's uh, character design, you know, that image. I had the image of her jumping off the ledge into the... With the, the bandages the, yeah. on her body? Yeah, well, yeah. well, but also I'm, I'm saying specifically the shot. I mean, it's, it's actually the cover of the Blu-ray is uh, her diving off the ledge into traffic. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's like the, the perspective of the camera is over her, right? Correct. Like looking down and her back is facing the camera. She's yeah, it's a out. beautiful image. It's like yeah, so yeah. wonderfully designed and yeah. shot. So um, you had like visual flashbulb moments with this. Yeah, but but in terms of the content of it and, and how uh, the whole movie worked, it, it no, I had no idea what it oh, was Oh, it's cool. So it was pretty fresh. It was a pretty fresh experience for you then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. And yeah, I... That just made it all the richer to, you know, like the right out of the gates, the first scene when you're in the Egyptian temple and you see the what's the alien race called that? Um, I believe it's pronounced Matochiwans. Matochiwans. Yeah. I, I never saw it spelled on screen. I just wrote it down phonetically, but it's something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. And well anyway when when they are in the temple and you see the matachiwans for the first time it is like i i cackled i was like yeah. that's fucking awesome because that is the kind of character design and and you know costume design and puppetry that you just don't get anymore and it's mm-hmm. like i'm so sad because they look goofy, but in a, such a fun way. And like, like the, the creativity is, is so apparent. It's like, it's so unique in what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And I like, you don't get that with CGI ever anymore. I feel like. Dude, a hundred percent. And especially that intro with the Montechuans, like it is this, you're kind of, you're, you're chasing after my thoughts. Exactly. I think I'm like, I'm, I'm, I totally agree. It's like there's there's an element of goofiness in that in that creature design. But it also is super badass and they're like these kind of they have these big hulking shoulders and these interesting shapes to their bodies and then these like little almost bird-like heads. Yeah, it's almost, almost like, like a cranes. vulture. Yeah. Yeah, or like vultures, yeah. But it so it like it's in a way a perfect creature design because there is an element of fear that they impose but they're also sort of welcoming and they're not like terrifying you know so we, well, they when we move, get that they kind of lumber around like you know mm-hmm. they they you're right they have like a i don't know what would you even call goofiness that? they have a goofiness to them but they also have this sort of like kind of elevated 
different plane of existence sort of vibe going on. So I think it, it it's like perfect creature design. And I've never seen anything like it in a film before, really. I've never seen a creature that looks like that. No. Um, so yeah, that, that immediately like brought me into the movie mm-hmm. and then, you know, just, I, the, the cartoonishness and the, the theatricality of the performances, I just find so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, look, I, I love me some Christian Bale breaking down and, and having, you know, like, like losing 50 pounds and whatever, like that's mm-hmm. all really fascinating to me, but like, I love when an actor, feels the freedom to just do whatever the fuck they want on screen. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll get to Gary Oldman, but like this performance is just like insane. It's, it's fucking insane. (laughs) It's so it, the, the entire movie is ham, right? The whole thing is cheesy and that structure around it has let the performances being so ridiculous and so amplified work. Because it's all within this very strange playground that it's operating in. So it all kind of fits together, I think. Even though Gary Oldman, I'll throw Chris Tucker in the mix, these actors are taking huge cuts. In a way, the most straight and normal of them is Bruce Willis. Like He's, he's taking it pretty cool guy. Everyone else is dialing it up and going nuts. And it never really bothers me. No. It it all works because the movie is just in, invites this sort of looseness with it that you're just like you just roll with it. You roll with these absurd things. You know what it is? Everyone in this movie knows what movie they're in. Mm-hmm. You know? Like like you see those movies where it's like this actor thinks they're in a, an art house drama, that this actor thinks they're in, you know, uh the the three stooges like like it's you know yeah. it just it, it's all over the place this movie mm-hmm. is not that this movie everyone knows what movie they're in you know everyone's bought into the cartoonish logic of the movie and just the fun of it and mm-hmm. as a result like you get to have fun because no one is no one is like winking at the camera mm-hmm. either like like even though it is over the top it's not like they're like isn't it funny that we're doing this over the top thing yeah. it's just like this is just the world that they're inhabiting and nobody seems to be not having fun. Like everyone is, is no one seems to be doubting themselves. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I guess that that's kind of what I mean is like, you know, like I know you don't like this movie, but uh, interview with a vampire, like mm-hmm. you watch that movie and you see the difference between the performance that Tom Cruise is giving versus the one that Brad Pitt is giving. And they're in completely different movies, even though I love that movie. And the right. reason is that Brad Pitt at the time hated being in that movie. He thought it was like lame. He thought he was going to get a bad reputation right. for being it. He thought he like, no, he. I'm I, kidding. I'm that, kidding. Well, yeah, no, right. Because you don't like it. <laughs> I'm being a dick. But you can read the disdain for the material in his face in that performance. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tom Cruise is throwing himself 110% into the character and just going balls to the wall with it. Right. Like that's, that's where you see that disparity, but here you never get that. Right. So we don't see that split. And I think that's a cool point, And I think I agree. Everyone in this film is on the same team and everyone recognizes what they're doing. And it's just a, it's a, it's a film that invites big cuts and some huge swings are taken in this film. And I think pretty much all of them work, which is quite remarkable, especially in you know my tastes. I generally kind of prefer things be kept small. Well, I mean, it's interesting. We've covered 
another movie in this series that this movie reminded me of in terms of just the bigness of it. Mm-hmm. And you hated this movie. It's Moulin Rouge. Yeah, I mean, I could. How do I you not see, like see that the, these two are doing the same thing? Maybe it's musicals. Maybe it's because I hate <laughs> musicals and I love science fiction. And also, like this movie does not take itself too seriously. And I do like that. And I'm not saying Moulin Rouge is the most serious film ever made, but it is in many ways shot in a somewhat traditional structure. Like there are a lot of interesting choices made. I'm not saying that, but when I watch the fifth element, even though there is tons of strangeness going on, the way it's paced and the way it, it unveils information is in a kind of a classical sense in a yeah. way. It goes to your point when you were talking about the structure of the film is actually hero's journey and very tight. And I think that kind of points to something that generally you respond to more than I do, which is you mentioned it in reference to Repo Man where I love Lucy Goosey. This movie I think is is going for absurd and kind of crazy town shit show but within a very specific and built arena. It's in a relatable structure that we know from Mm -hmm. seeing tons of films with a similar structure, you know? Right. right. It's, it's, it's fitting into that mold, but it's adding all these like layers of creativity on top of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Which, I mean, it kind of brings me to something I wanted to talk about, which is like in a lot of ways, this movie kind of feels like a kid's movie in an R-rated movie skin, you know? Mm. Like, like when you think about it, like the structure of this movie is so fucking basic and simplistic. Like there's a, a thing that they need to get to stop the evil from destroying the world. And yeah. there's it's, multiple it's, parties trying to get this thing, one for bad purposes, one for good purposes, and they're intersecting and fight. I mean, it's it's the mummy. It's you know, it's classical storytelling. Dude, we have seen so many versions of this story. You know, it's all kind of not all of it, but much of it is based on sort of the Christ narrative. You know, we see things like Matrix with Neo's character, and a million other films that have this sort of supreme being idea who is an exception and is, and is a device to defeat evil. I mean, mm-hmm. to your point, it is just a incredibly well-tread path of storytelling and a very traditional structure. Well, when you think about it too, I mean, like the, the jumping ahead to the climax of the movie, like the way that they're defeating this thing is by uniting the four elements. Like it's like, a, mm-hmm. it's so basic and natural and like, like a mm-hmm. kid can understand everything going on in this movie. I think this is probably a good time to jump over and talk a little bit about Luc Besson because this is a world that he, you know, really built up himself. He start, mm-hmm. He's the filmmaker behind this. He wrote and directed it. And he began writing this movie when he was 16 years old. Mm. And it's just, it, it's a movie that had been gestating in his head for like 20 years. And he just was like, you know, putting the pieces together, developing the the world. And um, yeah, it's 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 definitely like, when you talk about a movie that's like a passion project, this is like a passion project for him. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, what's your background with Luke Besson? Have you ever seen any of his films before? And are you familiar with just his overall filmography and his, his influence on filmmaking? Dude, I am so unfamiliar with this guy. 
I could have researched it for the show, but I was like, Drew always picks up that slack. He'll have it. He'll have it. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to keep my reaction to it clean. So, so what you're saying is you're letting out a lot of slack here. You're just like, leave it, leave it for Drew. Yeah, Drew, Drew will take care of it. <laughs> I've seen this movie before. Drew is pulling the cart this episode. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, um, I, I started watching some behind the scenes featurettes on YouTube. There are two uh, seemingly different ones available. They're over 30 minutes each. The versions I was seeing, the quality was unbelievably bad. And after like a few minutes, I had to bail. It was like ripped off of an old VHS that someone's car ran over. It just looked like horseshit and sounded like ass too. So I was like, I'm not watching this. But the one little snippet of detail I did get in that video that I started was that at the time, Bassan was a very well-respected director who was kind of getting free reign here. So I was intrigued about that because that's a, not a name I know. I don't really know his work. And well, you've probably so, heard of a couple of his films before. So Interesting. Yeah, what, the what, movies, what's, he, what's he working with? The movie that kind of put him on the map in terms of just like, whoa, this is a real filmmaker, was a film called La Femme Nikita. Um, mm -hmm. it's a, you know, action movie starring uh, a woman. It was, you know, it, I don't know. It was a big deal at the time. It, it uh, was, uh, a foreign film that did really well in the U S mm -hmm. and after that, he made a movie called Leon, the professional. Oh, I've seen that film. Yeah. Okay. Jean yes. Reno and uh, yep. very young Natalie, Natalie Portman. Portman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that movie, movie I did Gary Oldman as well in that film. Correct. And that, yeah, that was their first collaboration. And apparently they were like really good friends after doing that. And that's why he wanted cool. to come back and do this one. But nice. um, yeah, so, so the professional came Have out you? in 1994. I've seen that. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a little overrated maybe. Um, yeah. People talk about that movie with a lot of regard. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know if it worked for me on that level, but I did have a good time with it. Yeah, dude, I saw it in high school and I was like, what is everybody on about? I thought it was okay to maybe a little bit bad and I didn't vibe with it. Maybe I need to check it out again. I, like I said, that was decades ago, but I was like, you know, it was one of those, what the hell is going on? This is not very good. That's how I felt about it, but didn't know he made that though. That's still cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, he definitely, um, that, that was the movie that, that gave him, you know, the, the quote unquote blank check to, to go make mm -hmm. this movie. And, uh, so that's that's where he's kind of coming from at that point. After that, you know, he kind of he got known as this guy who uh, would kind of be a mentor to other young filmmakers and bring them up and kind of produce things for them. He like mm -hmm. he kind of was a little bit of like a French Roger Corman in that way. And um, I, you know, there haven't been any filmmakers really that stick out in terms of like ones that I know of that he shepherded along. A lot of them are quite honestly schlocky action directors that do like the, the direct DVD stuff that, you know, we don't really watch, but, um, he did have a, you know, a major hand in getting the taken series off the ground. He wrote the original taken mm. and, uh, produced Liam all Neeson? of those movies. Yep. Cool. He also wrote the, uh, the movie Unleashed, or I think Donnie the Dog is the name uh, outside of the U.S. It's the Jet Li movie. With oh Bob my Hoskins. god, that movie sucks. Uh, I I've heard great things about that movie. A lot really? of people really I, dig that movie. 
Wow. Okay, maybe have you, you haven't seen it though? Maybe you got to put it up. No, but I mean, going back to my friend Harwood, that's another one that he was like, "This movie rules. You should watch this movie." I I did not respond to it, but that again, long time ago. Fair long enough. Time ago. Fair enough. Well, yeah. He so he he did all of that, and then recently he did another sci-fi action movie like The Fifth Element called Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, which I really dug and mm-hmm. is based on a graphic novel, a French graphic novel, and uh, I'm blanking on the writer's name, but he had a heavy hand in assisting Luc Besson in designing this world. So they, they do feel of a piece a little bit, and I would highly recommend people check that out if they dug this movie. Um, mm-hmm. The big complaint on that is Dane DeHaan is completely fucking miscast, and it almost sinks the movie. It's that bad. But mm. um, otherwise, like from a design and a world building standpoint, that movie is on this level. Wow. But yeah, you know, I, I, more of these kind of movies, Luke, give us more of this. Yeah. If he's still in the game and just doing what he wants to do and every once in a while he does the, a movie. I mean, I think this film could really use a sequel not to sound like a wrap up. We got a lot more to talk about this film, but if, if it was announced that like, and I guess you couldn't do it now with like Bruce Willis, but in some other universe where like they did another one of these, like seven years later, I'd be really down to see it. Cause the, the world is so cool and so good. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really cool. It's really richly put together and thought out. And I, I had such a blast watching it. And uh, thank you, Luke Basson for building that out for us. Yeah. But we've uh, we've talked about him a bunch recently because we just did our Sixth Sense episode. How do you feel about Bruce Willis in this movie? This is probably my second favorite Bruce Willis performance, maybe third. The one it joust with is Die Hard. Um, but I just I love Bruce Willis's age in this movie. Like as someone that we've kind of as as in terms of when we were born. We saw a lot of sort of phases of Bruce Willis, starting with even like pictures we may have seen from like when he was in sitcoms and shit and had like a full head of hair up until like recently, like the diehard reboots that were happening in fairly recent years that were still theatrical releases and things like that. We have seen like 30, 40 years of this person. And I think 1997 Fifth Element Bruce Willis is like my favorite Bruce, just in terms of how he looks on camera, the energy he brings to the scenes. I think he's really like peaking in a lot of ways. And he's got like the perfect amount of hair left, you know, and like he's got the perfect amount of weathered look on his face, but he still looks kind of young. But he can play the sort of tired cop, uh, you know, whatever he is, secret agent in this film who's cabbying on the side or semi-retired. Like he his his face has enough years in it to express weariness really well but it's it still has enough youth to keep him on screen and buoyant and electric and and charismatic physically so for those reasons it ranks really high and and I do kind of circle back he is kind of playing the straight man a little bit in this film um and he's playing the cool guy and the person who's in control and keeps it together like he often does but it is one of my favorites, and I think a lot of it has to do with the, the age he is and the surroundings that he's in. The world around him that's been created that we've been praising so much by Luc Besson is very, is so rich and so fun, and he is a perfect fit in it. 
Like I, I really think he was, I wouldn't say born to do this role because that's so played out, but I would not want to see anybody else do this. Like no. Bruce Willis in this world is perfect. You know, when we were talking about the sixth sense, we kind of, we mentioned that the Bruce Willis character in that we could have seen being played by a number of other actors. Mm-hmm. And it's just because it's, it's a very, you know, there's, there's not a lot of texture to that character. It's, it, and, and that's intentional. Like he's kind of like a stoic central figure in that movie. Mm-hmm. This movie is, you know, just another one in the canon of like Bruce Willis having fun with the movie that he's in and knowing exactly the movie he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought it up in the sixth sense episode too, but uh, death becomes her just like, when Bruce Willis can let go and have fun with a character, even though, like you're saying, he is the straight man in a lot of ways in this movie, he's he's still a comical character. He has moments oh, yeah. where he he you know gets to be playful and fun, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it, I think Bruce Willis has gotten a bad rap for being a guy who's maybe like a paycheck player sometimes like where he'll come in and he'll just like do it cause you know, whatever the money. And that's definitely true in a lot of his performances, but he, I don't think he gets enough credit for how much, how, how important he is to holding up genre movies like this. And like, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he is the, 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 you know, the support system for this movie that keeps it somewhat grounded for the audience uh, to, you know, to really like, get into the weirdness of it and um you know i just again i just i appreciate that he seems so checked he's he's not checked out at all he's completely focused in this movie and it's awesome Mm -hmm. yeah he's such a good audience surrogate in this film you know because like we we were thrown around the term you know comedically the straight man and things like that and i totally agree with what you're saying that's not to say he's boring or stiff or stodgy in this film. He's got some great moments to really dial it up. When he kicks he's... in the priest's door, it's fucking great. Oh, oh yeah. And or just so many times like him tr- trying to get on the cruise ship is another kind of funny moment. And also when he goes down and shoots, he shoots like the leader of that team and like, you know, demands, like, like he has big moments for sure. But he's kind of the guy you want to be, you know, that old cliche of just the cool guy, the confident guy, the capable guy. And he just does it so fucking well in this. I really just, I love him. And I'm trying to think, like, could you, could you picture Nicolas Cage doing this? No. Can I picture even Schwarzenegger doing this? Not really. And Schwarzenegger is in a film that's in a somewhat similar energy in Total Recall um, in terms of a science fiction movie that doesn't no, take yeah. itself super seriously. Yeah, I think they're but of I a piece. Yeah. I don't want to see him in this world. Like this is Bruce Willis's corner, and that Maybe. one's Arnold. I mean, I could see Arnie being in this movie. It's a different movie for sure, but yeah. Uh, but no, I I fully agree. Like, I don't want to see anyone else in this role. You know what the other thing about this character is that really works for me is I think I'll bring up a more recent action hero in Dwayne the Rock Johnson, mm-hmm. and one thing about the Rock is he is so controlled in his image, his on-screen image and what he allows to uh, his characters to do in his movies that it, it, it saps all of the danger out of the movies that he's in because, you know, he's the kind of guy who's like, 
my character has to win in the end. He ha- like he can't get like too beaten up. He has to win all these like little fights and like he has to <laughs> look really cool doing it, you know? And it's like Like Steven Seagal too is another one. Yeah, Seagal Seagal was that guy. His movies are funny for a different reason, but Yeah, <laughs> ab- accidentally funny. <laughs> yeah. Um but what I love about Bruce Willis and and this movie does this exact thing is he is not afraid to get the shit beat up, beaten out of him in the movie. Mm-hmm. And he is not afraid to be the guy who, yeah, he's capable, but he is on his fucking back foot, you know? Yes. And he's out of his, he's, he's beyond his depth. And you and really feel like, struggling. like even though he's capable, a lot of the shit that he's getting away with is complete luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Totally. And I, and like that, that vulnerability there, I think just makes you so much more empathetic towards that central character and you want them to succeed that much more because you feel that danger that they're in. For sure, dude. I, I, I hate movies where people don't get beaten down, scarred action movie wise, where they, where you, where you could tell they're going to win everything they do. And I will say I have seen some rock films where he gets kind of, pummeled to a degree but i get what you're saying he has such a strong control over his perception and how he's perceived publicly and he wants to maintain a certain quote-unquote brand that maybe he's less willing than others to make fun of himself or put himself in a situation that is risky he would never be a greaseball taxi driver like like bruce willis is in this movie and i mean obviously like that's not who he is really like he's an army Mm -hmm. guy, you know, who's trained to, you know, do all this stuff. But at the same time, like he's a guy who is like shirking that and saying, no, I, I, I don't want to live like that. I want to like, just do this thing. And like Mm -hmm. Bruce, uh, Bruce Willis is willing to, to kind of show the, the grungier side of that character. Whereas I just, I can never see the rock like, like, the worst that The Rock will ever do for his character in a movie is make him a divorced dad who really cares about his kids. Like that's right. the, that's the the lowest he'll put his character. Yeah. We we need to see The Rock, and, and I get what you're saying. It's he won't allow it, but let's see him as a down and out. Imagine if they did a like a remake of Falling Down, but it was like The Rock, and he just like snaps and like loses it. That would be. Have you ever seen Falling Down by the way? I haven't seen it. I've seen lots of clips of it. I know okay. the I know the whole gist of the movie. Yeah, dude, but I would like to watch awesome. it at some point. That that movie's awesome. But uh, Is yeah, that a Wolfgang like, Peterson movie? I think it might I be. I don't know who made it. It's um yeah. uh Michael matter. Douglas, I believe is Well, the it actor is Michael Douglas is yeah, yeah. The, the central character. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, he would never do that. He would never play someone just at the end of their rope or like, you know, a desperate lame job maybe a taxi driver losing credits on their license and being unable to succeed at all. Like, yeah. Like how great is that joke, by the way, by the guy who's giving him Chinese food in his window. And he's like, Oh, this, this has got to be good news. I can tell you are fired. Like that, <laughs> that is the best. One of my favorite jokes in the film. for sure. There's a lot of those little things that I really like in this movie. Mm-hmm. The, another one is like, you know, it's a played out joke, but, I fucking love the the two cops that are like, we're not going after that guy. Whatever. Yeah. They're in the McDonald's line. And then yeah. he blows past him and the guy like splashes his, wa- his Cokes yeah, all dude. over him. And he's like, whoa. It, it is fun. It's like, obviously. It's just fun. A joke that has been done so many. Like, where are my donuts? We're not doing that. Oh, boy. But the fact that it's recreated in this futuristic setting 
makes it pretty fucking funny. Like these guys in a flying squad car, but it's still the same old shit at the end of the day. Real quick, what do you think of the uh, the product placement in this? This is another relic of the late '90s, like we were talking about with Big Daddy. That McDonald's one, to my memory, was the most egregious. The one, the McDonald's one in the Fifth Element. That's like because McDonald's double dipped there because <laughs> they were in Big Daddy too. But I mean, in the Fifth Element, like the whole like perfect service by this futuristic babe in the window i was like okay mcdonald's put it away well put then he like away. he crashes through like a billboard of mcdonald's too at one point yeah it's crazy it's all over the place in that scene but um the other one that i noticed was on like the makeup applicator device that they yep. they were showing her there's a chanel logo on there Oh, I didn't notice that. That's a see, that, that one's pretty subtle, right? That one's very as, subtle. That one doesn't bother me nearly as much. Yeah, but anyway, the, I just thought it was funny. And you know, science fiction movies have this weird sort of a little bit of a free pass because because I think I feel like there's like Coca Cola and McDonald's ads even in something even in something like Blade Runner, which is they're like, more discreet. They're more just a part of the world, like the Chanel yeah. one. Yeah, whatever. Look. They they got to do a really cool sequence with the money that they got from that, so I'm okay with it. That taxi, it is what it is. that taxi escape sequence is one of my favorites of the movie. I dug that so yeah. much, dude. What you're talking when Lulu falls in through yeah the roof and when he first decides to to you know get her the fuck out of there and say fuck yes. it to his taxi job. Yeah, and her we we get introduced to her quick learning skills by her reading help on the thing on the back of the taxi cab. And she's got, that's one of her best performances in the film. I think is where the tears are like streaming down her face and she just looks so sad in the back of that cab. And Bruce Willis is like, look, watching that happen as the cops are like latching to his cab. And yeah. the, the music is actually really good in that scene too. Yeah. For me, after he starts running, ironically, the music, the mo- the, scene loses a bit of steam for me and I kind of check out for much of that remainder. Mm-hmm. But I really like the tension building prior to Bruce Willis making the decision to floor it. I I, I think that is pretty spot on filmmaking in terms of just dialing oh, it's it up great. and yeah. all the elements in play there are are all five elements coming together. Well I don't know. I mean I, I love the chase sequence. I mean like the special effects don't hold up always in that. Like it does get a little bit kind of smooth around the edges kind of you know but i still just like it's it's fun watching bruce willis bomb through cars and like try and escape i don't know i i had a great time with that sequence and i like i really love the world building in that sequence of you understand based on how he's driving through the city there that this is a world where the city has run out of room to grow out and has just grown up because right. he just like bombs down and there's literally a layer of fog at the bottom that like, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's classic like metropolis type stuff mm-hmm. where you've got the underlings in the bottom and like, you know, it's, I don't know. I just, I love, I love that kind of wordless word world building. Yes. Dude, the movie does such a good job with those little details that it adds to the world that keep fleshing it out. And it makes sense that it took him that he was kicking around this idea for something like 20 years, because that's probably how much time it, how much time it takes to fully realize a world like this. And one little detail in world 
world building note that I adored was the short cigarettes. <laughs> that is such a great idea to show a limitation on it could show two things. It could show a complete limitation on tobacco crops and what is currently being harvested or produced, or it could show a sort of increase in restriction on cigarette manufacturing and what it is allowed to be put into a cigarette. And so there's a lot of cool ideas that flood into your head when you just see a tiny little detail like that of the cigarette with a massive filter that takes up like five sixths of it. And then there's like a little bit of tobacco at the end. Yeah. Just a great, great detail. You mentioned Mila Jovovich and what she's doing in the back of the cab there. We have to talk about her performance because that is, in my opinion, the best performance in the movie. And whoa, I think it's truly outstanding. Like this could make one of my lists at the end of the year because like, holy shit, she, the, the, the way that she plays this kind of childlike appreciation of the people around her and like, you know, the, the, she she's she has these childlike moments and i love the way that the movie kind of starts her in this place of being so otherworldly and unable to communicate and you track over the course of the movie her you know evolution from this infantile thing that can't even speak to you and is just like babbling nonsense and trying to get what they need into this this fully formed being that's like like you know way beyond your intelligence and like has has figured all this shit out and like it's that evolution you you can watch that in the performance and i don't know just the 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 physicality of the performance the way that she moves her body and and the way that she is able to um you know mm. I don't know. It's, it's, I just, I no. found it like an astounding performance. Dude, I'm with you. And actually, I always thought it was just a solid, solid performance. But as we're kicking it around and you're saying what you're saying, I'm like, oh shit, you're right. Like, this is a very easy performance to fuck up and get wrong. And she does play this sort of like childlike innocence. And I'm thinking of the scene where she escapes initially leading up to actually that scene where she jumps off the ledge that we were talking about that iconic shot. And when she's just getting used to her new surroundings, her, she's been dormant for 5,000 years. She's zapped awake and she's walking along the ledge of the building without it to some degree of care in the world. Or she, the care is running across her face or like, where am I and what's going on? But it has nothing to do with the height or the ledge. And it does kind of show this sort of childlike, innocence mixed with this supreme amount of power that she has and knows she has and the movie is full of scenes like that of her just kind of being very sweet and very almost naive but also combined with this intense ferocity and power and again self-awareness of that power it's not mm -hmm. like she's oblivious like a superhero reawakening she knows but she still is this sort of very sweet person uh, it's a really delicate performance and awesome. No, it's really, really good. Really, really great stuff. She's a, a an actor that, like, you know, is not necessarily one that I've tracked for a long time. I mean, you know, she was in Dazed and Confused right before this, and I love that movie. And she's, you know, very small part in that, but has a, an energy that she stands out with. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, she had this. Uh, and then she kind of goes on from here to be an action heroine in the specifically the Resident Evil series, but in a lot of other action movies. And I think she's interesting in that she has taken the fame that she got from this movie and then made her career about like doing really nerdy, you know, kind of cult movies like this. And and I think like, I think that's cool. She's, she's seems very self-aware of her persona as an actor. And I love that she's unafraid to throw herself into a performance like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She really does fully commit to it. And even think of little things like when she's, instantly cooking the chicken in that microwave another cool little world building moment something we've seen before on jetsons or even whatever but still cool well executed like puts it in for a second pulls out this massively cooked chicken and she's just like chicken she's all kind of excited and happy about it that's just really cool but then there's the stuff multi-pass yeah multi-pass there's the stuff that goes a little bit deeper though like when her and bruce willis get in the sleeping pod together and they're getting ready to go on the cruise ship together. And he gives that spiel about how he's going to protect her and all that stuff. And she just says, like, very confidently and convincingly, I'm Fifth Element. Like, I'll take care of you. Don't don't worry about it. You sleep now. And it's like, so again, I, I just love that blend of, like, mm-hmm. sweetness, but don't cross her. Mm-hmm. She will defend the people she loves and the things she loves. And fiercely. she does. Yeah, she totally does. While we're on Mila, I wanted to ask you this quick question. What do you think of the films kind of playing with uh, masculine assumptions, especially early in the film when they're getting ready to wake up the fifth element and everyone who's human has assumed, every male has assumed it's going to be a male. I think the movie's having fun with that expectation and at a time where that wasn't really super popular. And I'm wondering if this is a through line with Besson's work, because you mentioned his introductory film. I'm just, I have not seen it, but you said it was about a kind of a female assassin sort of thing or female femme fatale. I wonder if he has always enjoyed playing against the expectation of it's the male character. That's a badass and just promoting really strong female characters. I wonder if that's something he's done. No, I mean, he has a track record of that. He also wrote and produced uh, Colombiana, which was Zoe Saldana's kind of action uh, movie that she did. And I think they're actually trying to make another one of those. I didn't see that. I don't know if it's it's good or not. Um, but he also made uh, Lucy was another movie that he directed, which was a Scarlett Johansson star. Oh, movie. yeah. I remember uh, Morgan that. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Um. That so he has a, he has a definite track record of kind of elevating uh, heroines in in popular culture, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, this this deep. movie is definitely part of that, that yeah. kind of lineage. Um, mm-hmm. We already mentioned Gary Oldman; he's fucking insane in this movie. I I unbelievable. You know, I had always heard about the this performance of his as being insane. Nothing could have prepared me to hear his southern accent and those teeth and the way he talks around those teeth it is like it is so jarring the first time you hear it i don't know like do you think this is a good performance or is this just a weird fucking performance it's i think it's that's a great question gonna sound like a cop-out i think it's both i think it is both crazy good and super hammy and almost like a little bad, but it works really well for the film it's in. 
Hmm. Like again, you uh, and that's true for a lot of these. But you pull him out and you drop him in Star Wars, and it's like, what the fuck are you doing, Gary Oldman? What is this accent? What is this collar? What is the wardrobe putting him in? What is this haircut? He has a limp with a steel boot, like plastic face shield. Like what is going on? But I like it. I really do. I, I, I think it's funny. I think it's absurd. And I feel like earlier in his career, Gary Oldman was known for taking a lot of these absurd swings. You know, there's a movie called True Romance where he plays a pretty small character, but he's taking some really big cuts in that film too. And he's a little strange even in Leon's The Professional. Well, dude, I mean, the, like, it's a meme that the everyone, like, that's that's yeah. a fucking, like, that's still a part of our popular culture. Yeah. But in later years, as he got older, he kind of cooled off. And that is the Gary Oldman I've gotten to know in more recent years is the old is the elderly Carrie Oldman, who's a calmer actor and does these genuinely more serious roles that he's really committing to. And he's incredible at that. I had so much fun checking back in on this viewing with younger, absurd, big cuts, McGee, Gary Oldman again. Yeah. And I mean, I, I really liked it for that. I don't think it's, it's not going to sniff top of the year candidates for me or anything like that, but I really do like it for this movie. And in this moment in time, I don't disagree. I I think like recently Oldman definitely is in a calmer state of his career. But I mean, look, like he's one of these actors that you're like. He he disappears into roles. He's a chameleon actor, you know, and I mean, he was doing that even in the Harry Potter series. I mean, this is the same guy who's serious black in Harry Potter. It looks nothing like this in it. Um mm-hmm. He definitely had more of these around this time, but even today, like I see him throw himself into roles like Darkest Hour. He won a freaking Oscar for it playing Winston Churchill. Like you mm-hmm. never would have guessed this guy, and it's all makeup. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't do like a body transformation for it. Um, so, you know, he's this is like something he's known for. I do wish he would do some of this stuff again because it is so fun, but mm. um, yeah, I just love Gary Oldman in general. Give me any Gary Oldman you get. Yeah. Gary's in it. I'm seeing it. Yeah. Easy. Well, along the same lines, Chris Tucker, absolutely insane performance. And, you know, like I had seen the clip of his introduction in the movie before this is that was one of the few things from the movie I had seen, which is, (laughs) you know, him in the, the leopard print outfit and just, you know, going down the halls and just being absurd. Um, so I was ready for that, but it, that that performance, like as it goes through the movie, I was surprised at how much I was like, oh, this is an actual performance. He's not just doing a bit. There's things here. Mm-hmm. Like he's there's a whole character to this, other than this insane, you know, music video-esque sequence that he gets mm-hmm. introduced in. What do you think of his performance here? Dude, I I love Chris Tucker in this movie. And I love Chris Tucker in general. Loved him in Rush Hour. Friday is one of my favorite comedies. He's incredible. But I had a specific thought about his performance in this film as I was watching it this time around. And that is, the other week you and I were talking about The Sixth Sense. We were talking about Donnie Wahlberg's performance in that film. And we were talking along the lines of like, if he plays it with like an ounce less commitment to the role, 
Like it's not going to work. The whole yeah. thing's going to fall apart. I feel the exact same way about this Chris Tucker performance. It is played with so much aggressive confidence. Yes. That if he if he taps the brakes for a second, the entire performance goes off the rails and does not work and is not funny. But he commits to the energy he establishes so fully that it works completely and cracks me up. I find it hysterical. And it could it would also, by the way, hysterical in a timeless way. This is not funny for the time. I'm still laughing at it now, you know, over twenty you know, twenty odd years later, however long it's been. So I think it is an amazing comedic performance. One of my favorites of his specifically. And Maybe my favorite gag in the film is when he first asked Bruce Willis to say something on air and Bruce drops that thrilled moment that just echoes through the lobby. Like, and that's another moment where Bruce Willis gets an opportunity to chew the scenery a little bit, even in a subtle deadpan way. Mm-hmm. Like another time they crack the door open for that. But Chris Tucker, the high pitched screaming laugh, the wailing, the way the he boo- says Corbin is Corbin, so man. funny. Yeah. Rushes through it. And like, and like, the 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 B sound of him dismissing people <laughs> is so funny to me when Corbin shoots out the ceiling from around him so he can fall and he lets out that huge scream right before the ceiling breaks down and falls <laughs> so damn funny and uh, the way he accidentally ends up narrating this entire absurd situation I I love him in this movie and again played with a dash less conviction and the entire thing falls apart last but not least i think we definitely want to talk about ian holm just real briefly uh you know i love ian holm and i think what i love about him in this movie and and others is that even though he's this english actor with this gravitas to him like this shakespearean kind of gravitas he doesn't mind playing in these fantastical worlds like he's great as bilbo baggins too and he Mm -hmm. and He's a guy that like, you know, some actors of his caliber, I feel like would look down on this material and he's not afraid to look at a robot bartender and have a a beat of comedic, you know, stuff there with, with that, Mm -hmm. that thing like that, that kind of commitment is like, Oh, I I love that you are willing to do this. Oh. And like, think of like scenes where he, he passes out and faints when he realizes that the fifth he's so cartoony. He's arguably he's so, one of the most cartoony characters. So he's just like, it's like Looney Tunes land of like the fifth element. And then he just falls back like stiff as a board faints, but he really commits to it. He does it. He plays along. He goes with it and he's willing to roll with it. It seems. And it's really funny to me. And he also has good serious moments too. Like when he first is, breaching the idea to the president of the federated territories and is like trying to tell them not to fire. He's really good in those slightly more serious scenes too. Yeah, no, he is. And I mean, I'll, I'll always love Ian Holm anyway. Shout out to mm-hmm. him. Yeah, Anything yeah. else you want to touch on before we wrap up here? Yeah. I wanted to just give a shout out to when there's a movie like this, that's a, that's quite a bit bigger. It's important to be populated with great characters, even if they're not in the movie much. And this movie has so many great small performances, in my opinion. One of the one that really leaps off the screen to me is the guy who plays the lieutenant or whatever his name would be, who shows up at Corbin's Mm -hmm. house. 
that guy makes me laugh in almost every scene that he's in that he's trying to be funny. I'm thinking of when he's shoved into the freezer and they're like he's like, Corbin, we're not all gonna fit in there. And then Cor- and then Bruce Willis is like, Yeah, you already shoves him in, and the guy goes, Whoa! <laughs> and he makes the funniest fucking face as he's getting squeezed in there. And that actor routinely pulls off these amazing looks that flash on the screen very briefly. And they are all really funny to me. That is one of them. After the shadow creature just, is just to just to give him a shout out there, the character's name is General Monroe, and it's played by a guy named Brian James. And Brian, Brian James. James, weirdly enough, uh, was also in Blade Runner. He is uh, no the, the replicant in the initial scene where Harrison Ford is doing the whole deal where he, you know, uh, oh, he's interrogating. He's in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool, and that's a great performance too. Mm-hmm. When he when as as that replicant, holy shit, I remember that. Wow, I didn't know he had these comedic chops because in that he's talking about a turtle being turned upside down and all this shit. Like you know, he gets sad or whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also after the shadow beast, evil itself is thwarted. The per the the scientist is like it was stopped. 60 miles from the earth and it just cuts to him for a second and just chuckles. He's like, (laughs) and then it cuts away and it's just a great editing choice and he's barely on the screen, but it's awesome. And I think this movie has a lot of characters like that, like the president of the Federation or the Chinese restaurant guy Mm -hmm. or perfect example. Yeah. I mean, they, they all just have like a life to them that you're like, Oh, I like, I, there's a there's a character there. They're doing mm-hmm. something with it. It's interesting. You know, I mean, the, another scene with uh, General Monroe is like the reanimation scene, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, the the guy who you know the guy who's like perfect. You yeah, know, the that perfect guy, guy. Like with the weird ass haircut, like the the mm-hmm. buzz around the back of his head. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I love that guy. And like, they all have faces. They all have like great faces. You know, Facha's Facha yeah. City. This film. But it's like they like just the fact that their face is so unique, you know, gives them more character in a way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, dude. And again, the more you pepper them throughout this film, the better the world seems, and the better the, the more alive the movie feels to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I do have a couple last kind of bullet points if we want to hit those. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the entire match bit in this film. That, to me, is one of my favorite. I mean, you're a big fan of setups and payoffs. Mm-hmm. That This is one of my favorite in movie history, and I'm not fucking kidding. They introduced the match so early in the film mm-hmm. of him trying to quit smoking with these shortened cigarettes. He's, he's searching around his house for a matchbox that has one in it. We open up. There's a shot that we see there's two. Afterwards, he's when he's on the phone with his mom, he lights one unnecessarily. It burns down and burns him in the finger. and and when it comes down to that last match moment in the temple with the stones, it's such a great payoff because they laid the foundation early and subtly enough. And you're like, oh, my God, that's right. There's one left. And that moment when they strike it and the match almost blows out and everyone has that sort of reaction, probably different, difficult to get there. And it's a great flicker almost falls out moment and i just love that whole scheme throughout this movie the, well, the and, subtlety of the match thing and just the way that bruce willis is like hold your breath like yes. you you know it's just like it, it communicates the stakes immediately mm-hmm. and it and like you said it's something that's been layered in the whole way yeah it's just it that's great storytelling 
Yeah, dude, and everyone's sweating and everyone's bending over and it almost flutters out. Just <gasps> people think that gasp. It's just like, oh, it's so it's so cool. Really, and the stakes, really like well you're done. saying, just so and it's high. and it's simple. You know, it's mm-hmm. not it's not a, a thirty million dollar explosion. You know, in a Chris Nolan movie, it's like mm-hmm. it, that's that's enough. That is enough stakes right there. Yeah, it's great. What did you think of the modern day opera portion? When it starts off as like a traditional opera, but then tries to go like future techno music. See, I kind of love that. I didn't love the music overall in this movie. I feel Mm -hmm. like the score itself is just a little lame and did not hold up well. It's like one of the most dated aspects of it, I feel like. Mm -hmm. But that, that, the way that the opera music evolves into that kind of made me laugh. But also I was like, it's also kind of a banger. Yeah, dude, I I think it kind of works. It's like it's a great of its time sort of thing where it's like obviously aiming to sound futuristic and as a result it ends up falling down a little short and just sounds sort of dated. But I dig it, man. Again, the the movie's just so goofy that you just roll with it on yeah. so many levels. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us tonight on The Fifth Element. I really really dug it. I'm uh yeah, big fan now and uh, I need you to go watch Valerian cuz I think you would dig it. Dude, I, I am intrigued to check out more of his stuff to revisit The Professional. I really enjoyed seeing this again. It had been a few years for me. I'm super glad that you liked it, and I'm really, really happy you put it on the board and that you dug it, man. Yeah, Just man. happy to hear that. I believe it's your week this week to put something on the board. What do you got for us? It is. So, there's a filmmaker that I know the name of quite well. But I look at their filmography and I'm like, holy shit, I think I've only seen one of their movies. And it's like, it's time. It's time for me to get an understanding of this filmmaker. And I want to start near the beginning. I like this setup. Are you familiar with the film Pi? I am familiar with it in terms of its place in film history, but I have not seen it have not seen it. So I look at Darren Aronofsky's filmography and I'm like, holy shit, I think I've only seen Requiem for a Dream in high school. Really? So you've never seen, seen The Black Wrestler? Swan? You've never seen Black Oh, I Swan? have seen The Wrestler. I have seen The Wrestler, but I have not seen Black Swan. I have not seen Noah, all sorts of these other movies of his. And I remember when I was a kid hearing about Pi, it was like talked about. So I was like, I think that might be an interesting choice. It's, it's a kind of somewhat iconic film from this somewhat iconic director could be fun i've okay. wanted to learn more about aronofsky and yeah i don't know what to expect from it even I, i'm very going in very blind but i think it'd be a fun one for the board yeah Are you down? Yeah, let's do it i mean it's definitely one that i haven't seen um i think i'm generally a fan of of darren aronofsky i think some of his stuff gets a little navel gazy for me but I think it's a good time to get it on the board. We've got the whale coming out here pretty soon that he directed mm-hmm. with Brendan Fraser, um, which is and I'm raving. Really interested to see what that. Well, I've heard very mixed things, but great things about his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a, he's definitely an interesting director, and would be one that uh, I think would be cool to talk about his origins. And I think it's also a movie that's unique on the board for what we have right now. So let's do it. Yeah, dude. Hell yeah, man. Let's do pie. Let's do pie. All right, let's throw that dart, see what we get. The dart has spoken, Drew. 
What do we got? Went lefty, and we hit 19. Ooh, all right. Number 19 is face-off. We're going to face another off. 1997 actioner. Hell yeah, dude. It's funny. I mentioned I mentioned Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. Just a happenstance. Yeah, dude, that's great. Works out. This one you haven't seen, right? I mean, we'll get into it next week, but this Correct. is a Drew Clark shamer. As as a person who prides myself on my action movie knowledge, this is a major blind spot for me. So definitely excited to watch it. Dude, 95's face-off, dude. I'm looking forward to no, it. No, it's 1997. <laughs> Once again! Circling back to the Mayaco phone. Well, we're keeping that in. We're keeping that in. Oh, for sure. 90s, 97's face-off. Not That's like the cut sick. I made from the Sixth Sense episode, which I will not <laughs> utter here, but... Yeah. <laughs> Great, great Lord of the Rings reference, man. <laughs> that's that's going to do it tonight for our Fifth Element episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mark. Late up. I love Lucy Goosey.